Thank you for coming back to listen to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out everything that we have to offer, musky gear-wise, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Co-hosts tonight are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to see what they're up to, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Tonight, we're going to talk, we're going to continue our talk a little bit about the game of muskies, getting back to the basics type stuff. So we don't have a guest tonight. We, in, in my opinion, we put out some, you know, really high profile guests recently. And certainly we have some stuff lined up for the future. And I don't want to take anything away from our past guests because I think that we've tried to do the best that we can throughout this whole thing to bring in the most entertaining and educational guests that we can. But for tonight's podcast, no guests. We're going to just go back to what we did on episode 55. So episode 55, if you didn't listen to it, it was me, Brad, and Carrie talking about boat setups. So the reason we came into doing this was because we had a few people that wanted to talk, have us talk less with guides, lure makers, etc. They wanted more talk from weekend warrior type people. And so they wanted us to go and kind of talk a little bit about breaking down water without using the most sophisticated electronics being, you know, the side imaging panoptic stuff that we like to talk about frequently. So that brings us to now. I mean, as far as weekend warrior goes, like that's what I am. I have a business in the musky world, but I'm not out on the water. I'm not a guide. I'm just out there fishing. So like I mentioned in other podcasts, like I have to break down the water every single weekend that I'm out there. I got to start over. Now, granted, I typically sometimes have the ability to call on a friend. You know, for example, I have a lot of them in the musky world and I can kind of ask them a little bit, but none of them are fishing the same water that I'm fishing. So I still need to go through the progressions. You know, Carrie gets to have Brad, but I mean, Carrie's much in the same boat that I am as far as, you know, her place in the musky world. She's not out there fishing every day like Brad. So we're going to give the two of us are going to kind of talk things over. But anyways... Brad and Carrie, before I keep rambling on about nothing, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Jeff. That's good. I mean, I'm glad to have you guys back on. It seems like it's been forever since we did one of these because Herbie's, we actually recorded a little bit early. And now, of course, you know, typical, we're pushing it again. It's Monday night at, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. And I got to have this podcast turned back around for five o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. So we're, uh, you know, it's typical this time of year. We're under the gun. Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't it? You know, the funny part is, is uh, the Wisconsin Southern opener is is upon us. Here we are, you know, right back to where we were when we first started last year. We're going to end up doing some late nights because the sun doesn't go down until way late. And it starts again, Jeff. Yeah, hard to believe. I mean, I think I looked it up the other day. It was like the 25th, I think is what I told you, was our first podcast that we put out. So, you know, we're getting closer, pushing that, that one year mark. I think like technically next week would probably be like as close to one year as we're actually going to get to the day. You know, we're sort of roughly in the middle. And we have some, I don't know, I don't think we have any like big celebration plan for one year. I just think we're both happy that we've even made it a year. I would agree with that, Jeff. You know, the, the crazy thing is, is when we first started this, we said, okay, are our parents going to listen? You know, a couple friends, what's going to actually take place? And, you know, for the most part, I think it's uh, been really, really well received. And we appreciate everybody that's out there listening to us. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like my parents listen, your parents listen, 
and a couple of their friends. I mean, so that's good, right? We got at least what, like 12 listeners per week. <laughs> I think it's a little bit better than that. Jeff. Come on now. I know we set a couple download records, but I didn't tell anybody. I just told them it was a record. I didn't tell them it was only 18 people. I listened, you know, <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Well, if you really want to dig into it, I think we uh, we pretty much leave that stuff wide open so everybody can kind of see it. Yeah, it's not a secret. I mean, if you want to know how many downloads we get per episode, you can you can get that information pretty easily. This whole thing. Well, first off, before we get into the, you know the meat and potatoes part of this, what's going on with Musky Mayhem Tackle these days? Why don't you guys talk a little bit about that? Well, we're still experimenting with a few things, Jeff, and we've got a couple different people across the country that are already throwing for muskies, testing some new products that uh, that we're hoping to bring into the muskie world here shortly, sometime mid-season, you know, the end of the season. And that's something that we've always worked on, trying to do some new stuff, kind of get it really kind of rolling during the middle of the season, and then introduce it towards the end, if you will. So we're doing some of that. And, you know, ultimately we're just kind of getting prepared with our own boats, you know, trying to figure out, Hey, I got to get this. I got to get that. Like one of my boats, I need new tires. Um, so there goes, I don't know, four to $600. I'm guessing, you know, tandem axles, I got four tires I need to go buy. So things like that, that's what's going on in our world besides, uh, building and packing baits. Yeah. sounds like I got an order shipping my way. So anybody that's listening, Let's see, so it'll ship tomorrow. Probably have it on Thursday. So if you're looking for, you know, restock a musky mayhem tackle on our website, you can check that out on Thursday. So, I mean, you guys are shipping out some stuff. So that's great. I, I mean, as far as Team Rhino Outdoors goes, I would say it's mostly business as usual as usual these days. You know, U, UPS and USPS and Speedy are still coming every day. And we're still shipping whenever people are ordering. Much like you guys, Brad, I'm sure you thank everybody you know, we do this every week. You know, we thank you guys all for supporting our companies and for, you know, shopping with us because quite honestly, you know, without customers, we're nothing. We're just, you know, hanging out. And without listeners to the podcast, you know, it's just me, Brad, and Carrie having a conversation. So again, you know, we thank you for listening to the podcast. We thank you for supporting our businesses. I know as far as Team Rhino Outdoors is concerned, even then, you know, I'd say uncertain times, we're still trying to push forward. If you guys pay attention to our website in the next couple of weeks, I think we'll have some newer stuff coming. You know, I'd say there's a few cool custom colored things that we're going to have on the website. I know that we're, we've recently added a couple different products from some companies that we haven't had. So I wouldn't say nothing, anything like super ridiculously groundbreaking, but you know, definitely trying to keep, you know, we're trying to keep pushing forward as of the recording of this podcast. I think if you're, Looking for musky innovations, regular shell swimming dogs. We should have those two. And those have been pretty sought after as far as, I don't know if I'm getting custom colors and stock colors together, what what's up. But at this point, I'll take anything I can get because, you know, not every company is like Brad and Carrie where they're working out of their backyard. So some of these guys have been shut down. I know you guys probably know and talk to the Phantom Lure guys. They've been down for probably a month now, I'm guessing, right? They went back to work last week, Jeff, so... You know, Phantom is a is a pretty good sized company, and the parent company was a little bit worried that uh, they had so many people there. You know, there's a lot of different fears out there, that's for sure. But ultimately, they're back and they're shipping. Things are back to normal that way. Yeah, that's good because I mean, we've been 
pounding through a bunch of phantoms so guys looking for those baits those will get restocked here pretty quick too now things are starting to come together but i know there's still you know some companies that are it's still production is an issue so it's just just uh you know part of the time i guess right now and hopefully um everybody's getting out on the water doing a little bit of fishing i know much like brad i haven't even had my boat out yet i had a guy from southern wisconsin i was just texting him asking him about some stocking stuff because I know Wisconsin has put, they're not stocking anything, I don't believe, this year. But it sounds like private clubs and stuff are still. So I was just talking to him about what his club was doing. And he was asking me about fishing because he said southern Wisconsin's been good. But he said nothing big. Most, I mean, I've seen a couple of big pictures, but mostly smaller males, which is kind of to be anticipated. You know, what I anticipated based off the weather. I just assume that most of the fish are still spawning and going through that whole deal yet. I mean, because for the most part, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what the weather's been like in the in the Midwest. At least if you're listening from the Midwest, you know what it's like in the Midwest. We do have some listeners in California which have no idea what our weather's like, but it hasn't been that great. I mean, it's been cold and, you know, whatever, but, but it's going to play into, I would assume, a good bite on Green Bay because typically late springs, Green Bay is good. Well, the, the crazy thing, Jeff, is that I'm kind of dumbfounded at what some of the water temps are like around here by me and South. Really, the water has been pretty decent, but now you get an hour or two hours north of me and I'm hearing a lot different things. Ultimately, you know, depending on what's going on around your area, you know, weather can be so different an hour away. So you just got to get out there and experiment and look around, see what's going on. And, and I know Carrie and I have been thinking about, hey, we need to get out on the water and see what the weeds are doing, see what the fish are doing. Hopefully, maybe even see some of them out there spawning. I know I've seen a few posts on Instagram and guys are seeing some fish out there doing their thing. So as long as there's no major cold fronts, and we kind of seen that over the weekend with snowflakes and everything else. But hopefully we can get through that spawning movement and move on. You know, let's, let's get the ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like, you know, weather's supposed to stabilize here this week a little bit. So hopefully I'll get things rolling, you know, positively. You guys still have what, three weeks probably before your season opens. I guess I haven't really done the countdown, but yeah, I would say it's about three weeks, you know, for Minnesota, it's the first Saturday of June. Honestly, I'm, I'm not going to get too worked up yet. Even on opening day, I don't generally get too wound up. I'll usually go out Sunday after most of the crazies have left and went home. (laughs) You know, I get it. Everybody wants to be on the water so bad. But ultimately, I usually wait one day and just let things kind of calm down. Right. Yeah, I I mean, I usually let quite a bit of days. Usually, I'm back in the day when I didn't, I wasn't quite as busy as what I am now. I would go run out there and make sure I hit up the Southern Wisconsin opener right away. And we'd be out there at, you know, first light on Saturday, sometimes earlier on Saturday, but quite honestly, I haven't, I don't really even get rolling sometimes till the Northern Wisconsin opener. I think I'm going to maybe get out fishing one day next week. I'm hoping to maybe start working on filming for the 2020 YouTube stuff, which is odd because I don't even have all the 2019 footage out. I don't know when the heck I'm going to get that done. At some point, you just say, like, yeah, I'll put it out whenever. I don't know. I haven't ever had this issue before. For people that don't know, like, things that things have been a little bit rough, and I'd say in, like, the personal side of my life, 
So I don't not not saying it's you know like a bad thing. We just had a few unfortunate things happen in the last year or so. So it's taken up some time. It took up some time towards the end of last year, which put me on hiatus, and it's taken up some time since then. It's just been kind of a mess. So we're gonna start filming for 2020 YouTube, but it's like I said, it seems weird because I don't have all the 2019 stuff out yet. Usually it's long gone by now. I hear you, Jeff. Well, let's get back into uh, the basics, I guess. Yeah, let's do that. So where where do you want to start this conversation, Brad? Why don't you, why don't you steer it for a minute and let me know what you're, where you want to go with it. You know, I guess I would start off with, uh, you know, basically five core fundamentals. And, and I guess the first one would be dedication. Two would be boat control. You know, lure presentation would be number three. And then you go into four, which is location awareness. And five is just having a good, positive, musky attitude, if you will. That's what I would say that we should really dedicate the time to. I would say you're probably right. So if we go with dedication, I'm going to say that's going to probably be, you know, for me, it's just going to be love of the sport, which, you know, the love of the sport's going to go to time on the water. And then, you know, as when you're on the water, obviously you're going to always want to have the willingness to learn and adapt to what you see on the water. That's kind of where I'm going to go with dedication. I know, Brad, I'll let you expand on some of that stuff. You know, again, we we talk about it a lot, but for for the beginning angler, for the newer angler, or however you want to say it, because this podcast is probably geared more towards that, but who knows, maybe there's some guys that, that have been catching muskies that maybe they can take something from, from it too, but I guess you can't replace time on the water. That's I guess that's how I would say it. You can't replace that. There's nothing else that can do that. Yeah, you can read all sorts of books and you can do, you know, you can listen to these podcasts and these are helpful, but you really need to put the skills to the test, you know, right there on the water. It's kind of like, you know, on the job training. So I'm an electrician. I recently, that was another thing that's taken up some time is I have to do continuing education for my master's license every single year or every four years. I got to do 24 hours of continuing ed. Of course, that that's up in June and it's May. And I need to get my continuing ed in. Well, I can read out of the code book all, all I want and I can go through and I can know how to install stuff, but you don't truly learn the trade unless you're out there, you know, pulling wire and bending conduit. I mean, that's how that works. So that's kind of the musky trade in a sense, you know, time on the water, getting out there, putting, putting the tools, you know, the, the stuff you read and learn and here on the podcast to use on the water, that's, you know, that's what helps really drive it. I would totally agree with that, Jeff. You know, one of the things that I would say is I remember back in the day guiding on Mille Lacs a bunch. And one of the things that we did on Mille Lacs, we might've had a really tough day, but if you started reaching out and talking to different people, guess what? People were catching fish when we were struggling. And I would say what that amounts to is, you know, first of all, time on the water, nothing beats that. You you can't you can't trump it, right? You you have here's the deal. If you grind it out for eight hours, and guess what? That ninth or tenth hour might have been that time frame when those fish were gonna eat. And so if you really truly want to dedicate yourself to this whole deal, and dedication is a huge part of the fundamentals of muskie fishing time out there and just grinding it out even when things are really rough guess what you're going to be learning stuff and 
you can't change that. I mean, the guy that's going to work the hardest is probably going to actually accomplish more than the guy that's just kind of lazily going through this whole deal. So for sure, you know, time on the water is a huge key. You know, and the other thing that you really should think about is the willingness to learn. Here's the deal. You can say whatever you want to say if you've been fishing muskies 20 years or two weeks, whatever it might be. You can always pick up some some tips and some pointers from different people. And you can learn some of that stuff from different people that maybe haven't fished as much as you. Maybe they have something that they kind of put in their pocket with uh, something that they've done to catch fish. So being willing to learn and actually accept and, uh, and adapt to that ability, that that's huge. The one thing I'll add to Brad's point about time on the water you know, he said, he talked about grinding and all that. That's great if you're able to do that. Sometimes that weekend warrior guy, he can't do that. You know, he has, I mean, we'll use me for example. Okay, so I go up north. We have a play, We have a camper in a campground up by Pelican Lake. So I spend quite a bit of time in that area, not necessarily on Pelican Lake. I have, a, I'm up there with my kids. I have four of them. I got a wife. And so they have demands on my time while I'm up there. It's not like it's a free-for-all. I get all weekend to go fishing. I mean, occasionally, sometimes they'll hang back at home and I'll go up and then I'll have all weekend to go fishing. Then I can grind like Brad talked about. And that's great. You know, whatever, go up there either by myself or take a buddy or two up there, go on the water for 10, 12 hours a day, you know, whatever. That's fine. Go out in the morning, maybe take a midday break, come back to the camper, take a slight nap, get something to eat, and then head back out for another six hours. We've done that a bunch of times too, but sometimes you need to plan you know, it's like we talk about the moon deal or you need to plan. Maybe maybe the kids aren't awake at, you know, whatever, 5 in the morning. So then get out on the water at 5 in the morning. Go fish till 10. Come back home and hopefully they have, you know, it's time for breakfast or whatever. And then you can go out and spend all day with the kids and the wife and try to make them happy. And then go back out at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. You know, sometimes it's light till almost 10. And then, you know, fish it an extra hour do that on a Saturday. So sometimes, you know, you just have to be a little more creative with your time on the water in order to get that time when you're, you know, like I said, not everybody can just dedicate 12 hours a day to muskies. Some of us have other people we need to answer to. Uh, There's, there's no question about that, Jeff, you know, not everybody can do that, but ultimately, you know, I mean, the dedication of time on the water, it plays a huge factor and, if this is what you want to do and this is what you truly love, that's a huge part of it. There's, there's no question. You know, if you, if you think about it and you have that, that willingness every free minute that you have, that's what I'm talking about. It it doesn't mean that you need to fish 20 hours a day, but try to figure out what those prime times are. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, if you think about it, you go from dedication, what that really truly means is putting the real time into exactly what you're trying to do. Um, Carrie said it, I think. Would you say, Carrie, during while Jeff was talking? Practice makes perfect. Yeah, practice makes perfect. And, and I think that's what that dedication part is as well. I would definitely agree with you on that. I mean, practice does make perfect. Although, I mean, I've been practicing a lot. I'm not that good at it yet, so hopefully maybe one of these days I can figure it out. Well, skip the time on the water. We kind of hammered that pretty good. You know, the willingness to learn. I'd like to think that your first step in the willingness to learn is if you're listening to this podcast, you probably came to learn 
So hopefully you're already very willing to do that. I know, you know, this podcast has been helpful for me. I can just point to two podcasts recently of just a couple things that stick out in my head. Now, one of them has been a reoccurring theme throughout the course of, I'd say, the last 12 weeks, and that was speed. One thing I definitely want to try for this upcoming season is, you know, trolling speed. I want to make sure that I'm, I want to push the boundaries a little bit, do that four, four and a half, five mile an hour stuff to see what happens. Like I said, I don't, I don't do it. I never do it. I'll tell you if I hit four, I won't be at four for too long before I'm back down to, you know, three and a half, somewhere in there. And so I'll push that. The other thing I, I thought about too a lot recently was, I think it was Herbie. He was saying how when I was talking about patterning and how when if a pattern isn't going the way he had seen it previously, he's going to make big changes. And that's something that I want to try to implement also because inevitably throughout the course of a season, there's going to be times where I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about Herbie is that he, he brings a ton to the table hands down. And and it's really cool. Cause I've had a, dun- a bunch of different texts where people are like, wow, you know, it was really incredible what he had to say. And the thing is about him, a lot of times you have to really, really pay attention to the detail or you're going to miss some of what Herbie's actually saying. If you listen to the detail, you're going to hear a bunch. You know, making big changes sometimes can be the ticket. There's there's no question about that. But it's really hard for most anglers, including myself, to make that big giant change because you get set in your ways. And one of the things that we all do as an angler is, well, this is what worked yesterday. It doesn't mean it's going to work today. So you're right, Jeff. I mean, there's times when you just need to unplug and go a whole different direction and start up again. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to do a little bit of, you know, this year, just outside the box a little bit. I think sometimes I get too wrapped up in, in just trying to catch muskies the same way, you know, like Carrie talks about chasing memories. I think sometimes I get too wrapped up in chasing memories and there's sometimes that works, but it doesn't always work. You know, it's, there's a fine line there too. I would agree with that. And Carrie's been really quiet, Jeff. I don't know what's going on here. I think she's just mad because we gave her a hard time last episode. She was getting ripped on pretty good. I'm good. Don't worry. (laughs) It sounded like it. Yeah. There's a lot of question there with like the brows were like crunched down. I don't know. We're going to have to, we might have to like squeeze her or something. Well, you know, I mean, Brad, Uh, Brad, we can go about this all day, but I mean, it's May. So aside from that, I mean, you know, we're essentially in fishing season. So Carrie's just probably grumpy that we dragged her out of retirement again to make her come on the podcast. So I can see why (laughs) she'd be a little crabby tonight. There's maybe some truth to that because I have not taken her out fishing either. Uh, Normally during this time of the year, we've been out almost every evening, but you know, it's crazy. We've been pretty busy. And then on top of it, this weather really hasn't been the greatest. So we've kind of drug our feet on getting out, but hopefully that changes soon. Maybe we can make her happy again and get her back on pace. Yeah, you better do that. Get some bluegills and crappies. I'd prefer crappies because they get a little bit bigger. But she, yeah, I, no. I, I know her love affair for bluegills. I've heard about it a couple times. <laughs> that's for sure you're gonna hear about it in the mail too the way it sounds <laughs> I, I don't know if she told you that yet but, no uh, no i'm she guessing didn't. the next don't ruin it. 
the next podcast you'll uh you'll have to talk about what i'm just saying now oh great <laughs> i can't wait well let's, well let's ship in the number two or shift in the number two and talk about boat control jeff yeah let's do that my you're gonna have to bring the knowledge on the boat control on this one I think it's, if I'm going to talk about one thing, another thing that I can improve on would be boat control. But I think everybody can always improve on boat control. I mean, maybe there's a couple people I fished with that can't, but for the most part, I think that's one thing that we can all work on. But you're going to have to bring more of the boat control. Because see, for me, I just go out with these with these guides when I'm not fishing by myself, and I just let them do the boat control. So it really works well. That's the best way to get really good at boat control. Just go fishing with a bunch of guides. They'll... They'll take you all over the place, and they'll they'll steer you in the right direction. So, Brad, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit more about boat control, and then I'll throw my two cents in. Well, you know, boat control is a really interesting topic, and I've always thought this to myself, and I've never really expressed it. But if I fish with people my age or older, or even a couple years younger than me, you know, we started fishing without map cards. We started fishing without gps even so one of the things that we really did is we really concentrated on running our boats according to sonar and what i'm talking about that is basically on depth so a particular lake might have a weed line that goes to 15 feet we might position the boat in 16 17 feet so that we're making sure that we're not on top of the weeds we're just somewhat off of the weeds if that makes sense and the only way or the only reference we had was using that sonar to actually control the boat. Now, that's not unlike, like, say, a walleye fisherman. Think about that. A walleye fisherman generally works off of depth. And besides depth, they're also working off that sonar. And one of the things that I would say, if you were to look, it's somebody that's maybe 10, 12 years younger than I am they were introduced to the sport of fishing with a map card. And that map card became more of their in-depth. That's what they relied upon, okay? And I'm just going to tell you this straight out. Map cards aren't perfect. They're just not going to be perfect. And I've often wondered, you know, it's really interesting to me that people my age and older work off of depth, There's a generation 10 year, 12 years younger than me that work off of map cards. And then I would say there's a third generation who is maybe in their thirties ish that are working off of SI. And I find that really, really cool. And it's something that uh, definitely boat control can be factored in three different options, if you will. One being by sonar depth, two by map card, three by SI. There's all three of those. If you put them all together can definitely improve upon your boat control. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yes. One thing to bring this boat control thing back to like the person that's not looking for, you know, side imaging, you know, that type of stuff. They want to know how to do it without the latest electronics. Well, the way I used to do it back in the day, and I think we've probably talked about it on a podcast before, is I used to use icons all the time. Like, I would literally, this is where you need to balance time on the water versus time fishing. And sometimes I would sacrifice my time fishing to potentially have better future gains, essentially, if hopefully that makes any sense. 
So what I would do is I would literally go and I would start mapping all these. I'd map the weeds, inside turns. I'd map rocks. I have different icons for all that stuff. So for people, you know, obviously that that was even before map cards became as good as what they did. You know, like this, like Brad was talking about, they're all pretty accurate. But I would, I would literally be marking icons all the time, and that way I could know, you know, how far I was off of it. There's like the quarter mile, 300 feet mark, whatever. I would know that, you know, I'd zoom into a certain depth. So I would know I was one cast length or two cast lengths off of the structure. That's kind of how I would do it, you know, before all that side imaging stuff. Now, obviously that's made it a million times easier. I drop icons probably like what, I don't know, three times I'm out fishing. I'll maybe drop an icon, maybe. Yeah. What you're hitting on there, Jeff, really truly rings a bell for me because I remember in 99, 2000, somewhere in there, I ended up with a 350A Lowrance. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but it's still pre-map cards, right? And I'll never forget, you know, I, I kept track of all those waypoints over the period of years. And I would go back and I'd look at my, my icons or my waypoints that I was using. And guess what? We got a map card all of a sudden, and exactly how I laid out my icons was the structure. So, you know, do you need all the technology? No, you don't. But then you need tons of dedication and time. One of the things that, you know, $150, $200 for a map card definitely bought you all the hours that I put in previous to those. And it was kind of frustrating, honestly. But getting back to that whole boat control side of things, you know, you use the tools that are available. It's definitely, definitely going to cut your learning curve. And I wouldn't be afraid to, to visually look at those things either. You know, don't forget that there's structure in the middle of the lake. You don't have to rely on that shoreline for you to visually see what's going on. So, Go out there, check it out, look for those weeds, look for those rocks. If you're really uncertain, am I in the right spot? Am I actually hitting the spot that I want to cast to? Pull up there and look and learn what that means. And I think a lot of times people, you know, they're like too uncertain. Hey, if you have questions, go dig into it. Go find out what that really means. Yeah. And I know I still do that type of stuff. Sometimes I'm almost maybe too guilty of trying to map everything out so much that I spend more time playing around with that stuff than I do actually fishing. I don't know. Maybe it's not good or bad. I don't know. But sometimes I think I'm I'm guilty of that. I, I spend a lot of time you know, poking around. Right now I really like the side imaging stuff. So, I mean, obviously we've said it a million times before. If you can get it, it it's, it's unbelievable for some of the stuff. I fish a couple of lakes they have a bunch of cribs and stuff in them well it's way nicer and easier to just drive around side image these cribs i can literally pull them up on my screen hit the mark so now i know exactly where they are now i can make casts around them troll around them whatever you know faster easier but you could do all that stuff without all of that with just basic sonar and a map and you know marking with icons i did it all before and you can do it there it's like brad said a map card and the side imaging and stuff is just going to save you time. It's it's not going to, I mean, if you're willing to put in the effort, you can still get very similar results without it. Hands down, Jeff. And I think 
becoming efficient with your boat. Okay. If you're working the trolling motor, become efficient with holding a depth, become efficient with going from mark to mark, meaning icon or GPS marking, whatever it might be, or just using your map card. And if you shift gears and you do go to the level of SI, you can keep that distance away from a weed edge based upon what you're seeing off your SI unit, just like you're talking about. So, you know, but the main factor to this whole thing about boat control is becoming efficient with the boat that you actually run. And when you become efficient with that, you're going to see a huge change in your fishing ability. So Brad, let me ask you, you know, I'm looking at some notes over here and talking about casting off structure. Let me ask you weekend warrior to guide how far off structure are you? Are you a cast length off structure? So your casts are hitting right at the structure. Are you pushed off? I mean, obviously it's varies based on, based on multiple conditions, but I would say on a, as a general rule, like if, if for, I don't know, you start the season out and you're going to cast whatever weed edge or whatever, are you going to cast over the top of those? Or are you going to be a cast length off that weed? Like what's, what's your general rule? You know, it's really funny, Jeff, if you think about it, I've said this in seminars in the past and I I've written about it in different magazines and what have you, but I've always talked about the predator awareness zone. And, and what that means is there's three different zones when it comes down to the predator awareness zone. Zone one is the strike zone, the cast that'll catch fish. Zone two is the interest zone. It's where you'll have a blow up or maybe just a follow. And zone three is the awareness zone, which hey, the muskies know you're there, you're too close, and you need to back off a little bit. So honestly, Jeff, what your question is there, ultimately you, what you need to do is you need to find out and figure out what those fish are doing. If you're not seeing fish, move in closer to the structure. And there's two ways to do that. Think about this. You're cut, casting from the outside in, and then there's another option. You can cast from the inside back on top of that, right? So one of the things that I, I would tell people is if you're getting follow after follow after follow, guess what? Slide out a little bit. And then all of a sudden you can convert some of those follows into eats. You know what I mean? That's one of the things that I would definitely say. When you're catching fish, you're probably in the right zone. If you're not seeing fish, you're probably too tight on them. So those are the things that I would consider. Through the course of these podcasts, I think sometimes they're beneficial for me because it just, it's always got my wheels turning as far as, you know, what I can do to try to become a better angler. Because like I said, I'm I far from have all the answers. I've caught some muskies. I have a pretty good idea how to do it. You know, I'd like to say that when I go out by myself, I have a moderately decent success, but I'm far from a guide. I'm far from perfect. I have lots to work on. Boat control would probably be, like I said, my biggest one. And so that's why sometimes I ask, you know, dumb questions, I guess. But, I mean, I've caught fish, like, you know, asking Brad which how far off I am. I've caught them two cast lengths off a structure. I've caught them. It's, sometimes these fish will just blow your mind as far as the crazy places they show up and you wouldn't think that they should be there. But And you sometimes wonder why you're even fishing there. But on a hunch, you just go there. Kind of go with your gut once in a while. And it's worked for me a few times. And I've caught muskies in spots that have just left me shaking my head. Well, ultimately, Jeff, I mean, the thing is, is that these fish are going to always surprise you. And 
if you're not willing to kind of readjust and try to figure out exactly where you should be, you're going to suffer. And so don't be afraid to experiment a little bit. You know, you approach the first spot of the day. Ooh, you know what? I'm not seeing any fish. Should I back away? Should I get in closer? You know, think about the spot that you're fishing and make those adjustments to the next spot. And guess what? As you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you're going to be successful. And once you find that success, duplicate. It's always about duplication. That's why if you're trolling, you use line counters. That way you can try to duplicate your pattern. It's a tough one because, you know, boat control is something that kind of goes into the dedication side too. The the more dedicated you are, the more you're going to know your boat and the, the better you're going to be at, at controlling and running your boat. It ties together. You know, it's time on the water, ultimately. Not enough can be stressed and said for time on the water. I think we've stressed that in a bunch in this podcast, though. So just so you know, time on the water. All right, so then the next one we we're going to talk about would probably be lure presentation. So with... Trying to think what I'm trying to think who I read. It's uh Buck Perry spoon plugging. I read that way back in the day. Now you can laugh about the spoon plug part ball you want, but the one thing I'll take from it was depth control and speed control. As far as lure presentation, those are two things that you want to pay attention to. And of course, as a company that sells custom colored lures, I'm gonna throw color in there for sure too because sometimes that'll make that'll make a difference but if you're not in the right depth and you're not at the right speed you're going to struggle quite possibly so based off of you know when i say speed or um, depth control i mean you know if the muskies are 10 feet down and you're running a bait 10 feet over their head yes there are times a muskie can come up and grab that bait and they will i've seen it but Depending upon their mood, if they're not super active, they're not coming up 10 feet to nail that bait. So, Brad, you want to talk about, you know, baits and speed and your take on it? It's one of those things, Jeff, that, you know, so many people have talked about this. And me as a guide, um, I, I'm guiding out of the back of the boat, right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to have my first guy, first slot, okay? He's right on the bow guess what? I'm going to have him really burn it. Right. And it doesn't matter what bait it is within reason. You got to think about that. So let's just say we're throwing bucktails. I'm going to have him burning the bait in my second spot. The next guy in the middle is going to be doing a medium type retrieve. Okay. Cause speed of retrieval is a huge key to musky success. Me in the back, I'm going to be lollygagging, going slow. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm not in their way then. I'm in the back of the boat. So think about that. The first guy in the first hole in the boat is burn, burn, burn. So that the second guy can go at a medium rate. He's not in the way of the front guy. I'm not in the way going lollygagging slow in the back. And once you find the speed that you need to go, where fish are going to be active and they're actually going to eat, duplicate. So that's a huge deal. I mean, speed of retrieval is such a key factor in musky fishing. It really, truly is. And I think it's overlooked all the time. 
and daily it changes. So find what that is and then duplicate from there. So it sounds like not only are you lollygagging in the shop, you're lollygagging in the back of the boat too, huh? Whoa. No, <laughs> now we got fighting words. Uh, I just no, figured I'd... lollygags in the back of the boat. He, you said he only lollygags in the back of the boat? Never lollygags in the back of the boat. Oh, but he does in the shop. That's what you're saying? <laughs> I didn't say that. Oh, see, I was just putting it in there because I knew that's what Carrie was thinking. So I just added that in there for her. Gave gave you a little bit, of, a little jab, you know? Well, she's got this huge smirk on her face right now and a couple little giggles and chuckles. Maybe I should just kind of shuffle out of this whole conversation. I don't know. Well, I figured I'd try to make her lighten her up a little bit. I mean, she spoke for about a half a second in this podcast, and the only time she spoke, I could tell she was crabby as heck. So I figured we should probably. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the weird thing is, Jeff, is there is nobody. Um, (laughs) This sounds really crazy, but slow is. It can be a really huge factor. Slow, 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 right? Carrie, I don't think there's anybody on this planet that can reel a bucktail as slow as she does, keeping the blades moving. And it's so, so effective at different times. And I I know I've said this in the past. You know, it's so funny because we talk to these guys out east and they're talking about trolling they're talking about casting they're talking about burning 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 going as fast as you can carrie is the opposite she goes as slow as she can go and i I, i've said it in the past where does the fat guy run to the fridge or does he walk you know what the fat fish maybe likes it slower so it's something to think about speed of retrieval speed of of trolling is a huge factor and i think we need to all be aware of it well i think in some solo efforts like i said i've said it multiple times this podcast alone i'm gonna try speeding it up i troll slow i mean relative to trolling speeds so i'm gonna i'm gonna play around a little bit i know i've seen you catch them slow in the bag of the boat i know that works so and i've i've caught them at you know whatever three to three point five miles an hour maybe four I think I'm going to have to dial it up a little bit this year, Brad, and try a little outside of my comfort zone. And then I'll, I'll report back to you as long as I have time to take care of all that. You said <laughs> you, you got to have days where you just, you just want to get out fishing and you don't really care what happens and you just want to experiment. And sometimes it's hard to just, I don't want to say like blow a day like that, but sometimes you just have to do it in the sake of like learning, you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree, Jeff. But you know, one of the things that you got to think about, when it comes to lure presentation, speed of retrieval can be tied to depth of water as well. Okay, so what I mean is when you when you slow down your uh, bait presentation, depending on what it is, if it's a bucktail, you go slower, you're getting more depth. If it's a crankbait and you go slower, it's probably going to be higher in the water column. So those are things to think about as well, and and being aware of where your bait is in the water column can be a huge factor. And a lot of times I think uh, bucktail, going slow with a bucktail will get you that depth. And a lot of times a lazy fish is going to be a little bit deeper off that break line or, or weed edge. That's funny, but, you know, I'm sure obviously with your company, bucktails are one of the first things you reach for out of the box. 
But man, I got to tell you, lately it's just, I don't know. I think I just suck sometimes. I haven't been able to catch too many fish on bucktails lately to the point where I barely even throw them. I mean, I'm planning on doing it again this year, but it's just been a struggle for me. I don't know what the story is. I mean, I I'm, I'm, I know lots of people that catch them on them. I'm sure you probably caught plenty of them on them last year. Well, the funny part is, is I, the bucktail is like, it's a staple. It, it truly is a staple in this whole industry. I mean, if you're a caster and you're not using bucktails, come on. I mean, think about it. That That is a staple in the industry of muskies, hands down. Let me throw a, a fastball right at you. Hopefully you'll knock this one out of the park. So then of, of all the bucktails that you guys manufacture, give me one that... That somebody's got to have. <laughs> I'm probably the wrong guy to ask, Jeff. Um, I still, to this day, will lean on a cowgirl over everything. And, you know, one of the things that I've I've heard from tons of different people is, well, the, the cowgirl's been thrown so much, you know, there's no reason that I should throw that. The fish are used to it. Well, guess what? When everybody starts to go down that path, I'm thinking to myself, hey, the cowgirl is still probably the bait to go to because nobody else is throwing it. And it, it countless, countless big fish have been count, or caught on that bait. So I struggle with that. Uh, you know, people are saying, well, we need to throw the junior. or Hey, we should go to the double showgirl. Or maybe it's uh, change it all up and go to a, a rabbit squirrel or a single-bladed bait, you know. Whatever it might be, but at the end of the day, I still put more fish in the boat with a double cowgirl, and I think it's be primarily because nobody's fishing it anymore. You know what else nobody else is fishing? Willow-bladed rabbit squirrels. I'm just saying. Oh, come on, man. Yep. Willow-bladed <laughs> rabbit squirrels. We, uh, you know, that that's a whole different topic, Jeff. Um <laughs> just let us get like kind of caught up. I mean, that bait has been kind of hidden for quite a few years here and we just need to get right where we're set with the, uh, the regular rabbit squirrel before we go down that path. Fine. Fine. The rabbit squirrel is an, it's a demanding bait. I mean, it just, even if you've never tied a bucktail, take a look at it and go, Ooh, yeah, if I was tying that, it's not easy. It's tied to the shaft. You're dealing with intricate little squirrel hair. It's not an easy bait to tie. So it takes time. And uh, there has been a demand, that a pent-up demand, if you will, where guys haven't gotten them. You know what I mean? Because basically they weren't available. And so, you know, as we've made them more available in the last year, Hey, it's going to take some time to rebound from all of that. Well, not only is there pent up demand for them, but we've talked about this before. There's, there's still a group of musky anglers that's pretty new to the sport. And I think sometimes there's even like a little bit of a revolving door in the musky world as far as like the sport. So there's still a bunch of people that probably don't even know what the bait is or, or they look at it and they're like, ah, that's not going to catch muskies. But I can tell you those baits put fish in the boat. Well, hands down, they do, Jeff. I mean, I, it's a small profile with some bigger blades. The fish love them. 
hands down, they love them. And I myself, I, I struggle because I'm a big bait guy. The squirrel is not a big, big bait, really. You know, the neat thing was that when we incorporated the rabbit girl, which is the flashaboo version of the squirrel, you know, I, I did fish them last year because I wanted to know, are we going to catch fish? And we did. We caught a ton of fish on them. And that's the other thing, you know, the stores don't have them yet. We, we introduced them at the shows. And again, it's a very, very time demanding bait. So as that progresses and the stores get them, we'll be, uh, we'll be in a different avenue there. All right. I'll keep waiting and bothering you for them best I can. So Brad, let's talk a little bit about location awareness. I know you kind of briefly touched on it a little bit, but let's kind of dig into that a little bit when you, what are you, what are you talking about with location awareness? Well, I, I did talk about that briefly. And what I talked about is the predator awareness zones, you know, the three zones that I really truly feel put more fish into your boat. And that ties to boat control. It ties to exactly that dedication side. It, it, it comes full circle, if you will, Jeff. But at the end of the day, I mean, location awareness, where was your boat when you had a follow? Okay, where did that fish come from when you caught it, right? And so tying all of these together, if you look at boat control and then you look at where you're catching fish or where you had that follow, you know, was it a point? Was it an inside turn? Did the weeds change? What are those different things that you're looking at? You know, it could be a change from rocks to weeds. It could be a change from weeds to just mud and, and, and sand, you know? So there's so many different factors. And the more that you dedicate your time, the more you're aware of those issues, that's what really puts more fish in your boat. It puts more fish in your boat. <laughs> I don't know about mine, but yours, I would say. Well, I think it puts more fish in everybody's boat when they start putting the pieces of the puzzle. You know, musky fishing is a giant puzzle. And as you start putting those pieces of the puzzle together and they start interconnecting within your mind, you're definitely going to start catching more fish. Plain and simple. Ultimately, it comes back to time on the water. It, it does, hands down. Time on the water, you can't beat it. But when you're putting that time into the water, you definitely need, you need to come full circle and it's still pieces to the puzzle, correct? Yeah, it's always about putting the pieces to the puzzle. I'll circle back to another podcast. I think it might have been the Herbie one. Like he talked about when he's catching a fish, how that you'd have like the the what, the where, the why, those types of things. And, you know, Brad talking about location awareness, that's kind of, I think, the same, you know, not the same, but similar, you know, premise. You know, like what put that muskie there is kind of what I always try to figure out when I catch a muskie. Like I'm like, why was it there? What was it doing there? How come we caught it? Was it this, you know, was it weather related? Was it moon related, you know, all those types of things. Cause it's, again, it's always about trying to put the pattern together. And so if you know why that fish was there, that definitely helps, you know, was it, was a bait fish related kind of the same sorts of st similar stuff that Brad had just kind of went through. I would agree, Jeff, you know, here's the deal. I mean, 
ultimately weather plays a huge factor in this whole thing, right? It, it might be number one. You could bounce back and forth and say that weather is number one. Um, your boat position is number one. What is it that triggers these fish? Okay. There's so many different factors. I mean, you've got your majors, your minors, your, you know, all of those different things that, that come to play. But as you start triggering different fish and making them eat, or they just, they're on the prowl, they're, they're going to come out and they're just boom, boom, boom. You know, you're, you're catching fish. Guess what? Think about what's going on at that particular moment and where your boat is and how you're actually approaching it. Those memories and those thoughts, you can duplicate them if you really, really get down to the nitty gritty. I mean, that's what it's truly about. And that nitty gritty might show up a month from now, a week from now, three hours from now. And that's how you start putting more fish in the boat. So we go into positive attitude? Yeah, you can you can think about it positive musky attitude, right? PMA. PMA. I mean, PMA. You, you hear about it all the time. And, you know, Carrie's famous little saying is, you can't fish angry. Why don't you talk about that, Carrie? What am I supposed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about no? Well, you can't fish angry, so let's talk about it. I mean, you're already angry now, so apparently you can podcast angry. <laughs> I'm not angry at all. <laughs> no, Carrie, Carrie's famous line to me always, you know, and I hear her say it to different guys. I hear her say it to whatever. You know, we have like a revolving door here at our shop, okay? I mean... There's people that don't understand. We build all of our own baits right here at our shop. And it's really cool. I mean, we we have just a a super, super cool network of people that come and stay at our place. They guide out of our place. They fish out of our place. It's cool. And one of the things that Carrie has always reiterated is don't fish angry. So guess what? You know, your starter on your boat motor went out today and you're pissed. You know what I mean? You get the motor, the the starter motor fixed and now you're on the water. Don't, don't hold back and go, man, I'm, I'm pissed about that motor not starting this morning. You have to re-engage and realize that fishing angry, you never, ever fish the same way that you should when you're happy and you're excited and things are really going well. So fishing angry is a huge part to this whole deal. Maybe you got a bad phone call. Maybe it's work, you know, whatever it is. But you have to stay solid and and you have to remember that fishing is supposed to be fun. Number one, musky fishing is supposed to be fun. So if you're out there and you're just like lollygagging, throwing your baits because you know what, I'm here to fish and blah, 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 you know, you're, you're pissy about it. I'm going to guess that you're probably not going to fish the same way that when you're relaxed and you go out there and go, wow, let's, let's hit this spot. Let's, let's go have some fun and see what this spot does. Okay. Well, the first spot doesn't work. Go to the second spot and try to put things together. It's, it's all pieces to the puzzle. When you're angry, you don't think the same way that you do 
when you're positive and really approaching each spot with a good attitude. But what if these stupid fish just make you so angry, Brad? I mean, you start out with a good attitude, and then you fish for five, six, seven hours. They don't see you. Don't see one. You don't catch one. You throw in heavy baits. They just make you so angry. What if that's the problem, Brad? Then Sounds I got like a fish angry. No <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that, Carrie? Sounds like a personal problem. Oh, that I'm just always angry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, you know, ultimately, it's about paying attention to the detail and stay focused. You know, ultimately, when you're on the water and things are are going south, if you will, you know, things are not happening the way that you envision they should happen. That's where you make some of those changes. You know, you, you talked about it a minute ago, Jeff, about how Herbie says, make a big change. Okay, so... My top water isn't working right now, and it should be because the wind is right and the, the moon is right and everything else. Guess what? Switch it up. Throw a bucktail. Throw a crankbait. Whatever it might be, make a big change and see what happens. You know, I, at the end of the day, it's about putting these different pieces of the puzzle together and actually making the fish respond and once they respond duplicate well brad i would say you know with everything we've tried to put together in this podcast for i mean even you know past episodes or whatever but tonight so you know what do you do with all the information that you have you know that we've presented or that you've read here or seen there or whatever heard or listened to a seminar at a musky show or whatever you know the stuff that you learned now you need to apply this, you know, this, uh, knowledge that you have. And then, you know, I'm assuming you're going to have to go and try to create some patterns and dissect the water and theorize about, you know, what these fish are doing on a day-to-day basis. And I hate to say it again, but you know, a lot of that stuff's going to just go back to time on the water as far as, you know, trying to develop those patterns and theorize, and you're going to have some trial and error with putting together, you know, testing out this bait and this spot and, you know, all that stuff. I'm sure you know, Brad, you know, let's, uh, we, it's kind of off topic a little bit, but there's spots that look really, really great that they should hold muskies and they should be awesome and you should catch a fish off them all the time, but they just don't produce. I would imagine you've probably seen some spots and have some like that. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, you think that you got it dialed in and guess what? You show up and it doesn't work. But ultimately, you know, what it really truly amounts to, you know, we've talked about the different things that really put you back in the game. But at the end of the day, you learn, you apply, you dissect, and you create a pattern in theory. So, you know, that's what really musky fishing is about. So then the, the question is, do muskies really pattern? <laughs> <laughs> Only until you think you haven't patterned. I can't disagree with you as much as I want to, but I just can't. Yeah, there, there's always a pattern of some sort, right? I mean, you think about it, it's a matter of trying to find what that pattern truly, truly means. And by the time that you think you got it figured out, guess what? They've shifted gears. So you really got to look at that. It It does help in that type of a situation, though, if you do kind of take notes. It sounds 
sounds kind of cheesy, but having a journal and writing that stuff down and giving yourself a reference to go back to, whether it's the, the month before or the year before or the week before or the day before, it does kind of help you build a trend for the year or, or build a trend for improvement on, on your own fishing. I could reiterate with that, you know, one of the things that Laz talked about in his podcast, and I found it really interesting, was that he has his clientele kind of keep a reference and log some of that information. And what what he's talking about there ultimately is that they come the same time frame of every year, right? Well, guess what? His clientele that come, say, whatever it is, July 15th through the 18th, they come every year during that time frame. Guess what? They have the information in their pocket. What happened over the last five years, seven years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it might be, those references will definitely help you put more fish in the boat. And, you know, it's funny for me. I'm horrible. I, I don't keep a really good journal. There was a time and a place where I did that early in my career, but I have old clientele kind of like Laz where, Hey, they have kept a really up-to-date journal. And when I'm really struggling, guess what I do? I call them and I say, Hey, what did we do when the water temp was this blah, blah, blah. And they can go back in their notes and it puts you back in the game. It really does. And so there is a definite just to actually keeping those logs like Carrie was just talking about. Between that story right there, I'm just keep thinking to myself like, man, I hope eventually I get far enough in this game and to be that big a deal where I got other dudes keeping my record keeping for me because I got nobody. <laughs> oh, come on now, Jeff. You know, I- there was a time in my place where, you know, cell phones were not really a big factor. I mean, I, I didn't have a cell phone that had a camera. So how do you go back and reference, right? I, I carried a Polaroid and that Polaroid would take a picture of that fish. And guess what? On the bottom of that is a big old white chunk of paper. And I would Sharpie in some notes, you know, Watertown, weather, so on and so forth. And I have tons of those pictures. And unfortunately, I wish I would have kept them in an actual log platform because that log platform would have given me the opportunity to do what I do. Now, I do have those clients that have actually taken really good records. And it's amazing. You know, say we're September 15th. I can go back and say, hey, Paul, you know, give me a shout. Tell me what's going on here. September the 15th, we've got water temps at whatever, 50 degrees. And he can tell me exactly what was going on. Yeah, I don't have any of those references. I can call a couple people. They're not gonna they're not gonna know. So I need <laughs> I need to get to that level. The really crazy part is there's there's not a lot of times that that's necessary because when you're on the water every stinking day you pretty much kind of have a pattern of what's been going on anyway. But don't get me wrong. I don't care if you're on the water every stinking day. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, 
you struggle through periods of time and until you get back in into that realm where things are really going again it can be challenging so unlike not unlike anybody else the weekend warrior or whoever you might be guides go through those patterns as well so you're not alone don't don't think that hey man i i struggled this weekend i wasn't able to put a fish in the boat but you know what you were able to distinguish hey this didn't work so what should i have done and and keeping that in mind is also a big big part to the puzzle well i can i can reiterate you know i can agree with that or you know add a little bit of that i fish with a lot of guides over the past the you know over the course of the past two years i have and it's not we don't put fish in the boat every day what you see on youtube typically is the way it is for a trip i mean if we go fishing for i i never go if we're going to film something for youtube i never go for one day it's always two for sure sometimes three and usually we can get the job done we've had very we've been super lucky in the last couple years where over the course of a trip we've been able to put a video together but that doesn't mean it hasn't been a 15 minute window over the course of two days that we can put that that together I've seen it on a couple occasions last year. You know, I was fishing up in northern Wisconsin, and we put a video together. Looks like we had a great weekend. We didn't. We had a great 15 minutes. That was it. We struggled the rest of the time. I mean, we saw a lot of fish, but we just couldn't get them to eat. So, you know, even, you know, if if you go out on the water and you don't catch a fish every single time out, like Brad had said, you're not alone. Guides do it too. All, often. Guides will do it often. They don't always put fish in the boat. Hands down, Jeff. And I think one of the things that people get uh, kind of hung up on, you, you said it, 15 minutes. 15 minutes of glory for 20 hours of fishing. Think about that. You know, if, at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to purely time on the water and making that bite happen. Well, like, I mean, getting back to the point where you were talking about time on the water and pound, 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 pound. Well, when we're, when we're filming, we're trying to get fish on, you know, on film. That's what we do. We pound, we grind, you know, when you said 15 minutes of the course of 20 hours, I'm betting it was 15 minutes over the course of 30 hours, actually. Cause I'm thinking it was two 15 hour days, just about on the water. Like there was no chance I was getting anywhere close to eight hours of sleep during that trip. And it was, you know, pretty early in the morning till about dark, both sing, both, you know, both times. So both days on that one particular trip. So, you know, if you can grind, that's the best way to do it. Cause there's been a lot of, you know, filming times, shoots or whatever you want to call them with YouTube, where literally it's, we got the job done just because we were too stupid, stubborn, or whatever you want to say to quit. We just kept fighting. And finally, you know, we got, we got the bites that we needed and it wasn't always, moon related it's not always weather related it's not always wind related sometimes it's just right place right time you know we we were stubborn we didn't give up and we caught two fish that's how that works i hear you jeff you know one of the things that i could tell you is take mike keys keys outdoors tv show you know one of the things that he does is he shows how rough it can be and then on the backside He'll show you how great it can be. And, you know, one of the things that I think about, and I, I always go back to him because 
every day is a new day. And sometimes when things are really, really bad, he shows the really, really bad. And guess what? The second or the third day can be all about big fish. So think about that and uh, just realize we're not, we're not alone in the, in the boat, right? When you have that bad day, the next day can be totally opposite. So just put in the time and actually make it come together. Positive musky attitude, Brad. You said it. It's PMA, right? And that PMA will get you everything that we talked about. Dedication and uh, boat control and so on and so forth. That is what truly pushes you over the edge, right? That's what gets you to the next level. I couldn't agree more. So with that being said, we got anything else to add to this episode? Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything, Jeff. You know, I ultimately, hopefully people enjoyed listening. And I think uh, we, we pretty much covered what that looks like for the average fisherman getting out there three, four days a week. I, I don't know what else we can say. Right. Well, hopefully next week we can return with another guest. You said, I hope that, uh, I hope they're more important than me, Brad and Carrie. Well, at least me and Brad, I don't know if anybody's more important than Carrie, but at least we'll, uh, you know, I think, I don't know. We haven't even decided who we're going to line up. I know we've had some conversations about some guests recently, one particular guest, which we won't let the cat out of the bag right now, but it could potentially be a really, really solid guest, I think. I would agree with that, Jeff. And, you know, we've been very, very fortunate with the different people that have elevated to come on. And I don't know, I'm, I'm super stoked. You know, we're almost a year into this thing. And I think that we've, uh, we've brought some pretty high level guys to the table. Yes, I would agree. I mean, and I think, you know, I think we brought them from all the way, all the way around. Like, just because I say, like, certain guests were, you know, whatever. I think sometimes for us to get certain guests, it's nice because some are more or more or less accessible than other guests. So that's why when I say we have working on a couple of guests that could potentially be really big, I mean, they could be pretty big because they don't show up all the time. You know, they're not, they're not out there in the public eye every single day, you know. So I think that... I think that's, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't want to take anything away from the guests that we've had because, quite honestly, I think every single guest that we have had on, aside from, you know, the times it's just me and Carrie and Brad, you know, just talking back and forth, I think that those other guests have all brought something to the table aside from, you know, like I said, us three clowns. But, um, like I said, I'm not trying to take anything away from any of the previous guests that we had. Like, one's more important than the other. They're all very important. If you listen to them all, Hopefully you got something from all of them. Cause I think I have. Oh, hands down, Jeff. I mean, there's no bad guess. You, you think about it, it. There's no bad question, right? I mean, ultimately everybody has brought something to the table. And I think that's what that truly makes our podcast special. I mean, I, here's the deal. <laughs> Everybody's got something that somebody can learn something from. So it's huge. It really, truly is. Well, with that being said, we thank you all for listening again this week to the Backlash Podcast. We said in the beginning, I'll say it again, we can't thank you all for listening. We, you know, Brad and Carrie and I, we don't get paid 
to do this. We don't have any sponsors. You know, we just do it to give back to the musk community because we truly appreciate everybody's support with our businesses. This is one way we think we can give back. And, you know, it's another thing. We we want everybody to catch muskies. We want everybody to catch more fish, bigger fish. And, you know, that that's kind of the goal in the podcast. So we just want to thank you again for coming back and see you all next week. Yeah, truly appreciate everybody, Jeff. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming out, and hopefully they enjoyed. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.